Brent Kidzerski is my guest today, and we dug into the how-tos of getting more strategic and leading big, complex changes. I'm excited to share this episode with you. If you are making plans and leading change in your organization, you'll get great value from my conversation with Brent. Welcome to the Courage of a Leader podcast. This is where you hear real-life stories of top leaders achieving extraordinary results. And you get practical advice and techniques you can immediately apply for your own success. This is where you will get inspired and take bold, courageous action. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Amy Riley. Now, are you ready to step into the full power of your leadership and achieve the results you care about most? Let's ignite the courage of a leader. Brent, I want to ask you, you have made a shift. What is most important to you right now? I really fight now for this whole thing about the human performance experience model at work and the human condition at work. I think, you know, the work is killing people. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, fifth leading cause of death in the United States is job stress, job-related stress through, you know, bad behaviors that work stress lead to like smoking, drinking, overeating, drugs, alcohol, and that leads to hypertension, high blood pressure, you know, heart disease. And that's the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. You know, people, 80% of people are disengaged. 80% of people are now worried about their mental health. And our managers aren't equipped to deal with that because they're still bound by the organization, bureaucracy, politics, and pace. And so these are things that just um, have to change. You know, just reading something on the War for Talent, you know, the book came up by the McKenzie uh, principal back in 1997 or 2001. And, you know, companies have had about almost a quarter century to deal with the world for talent and they haven't done a thing really of Mm. of perfect consequence. So, you know, what's it going to take to move them along and put really look at the human condition at work? Because now we've got this whole thing about the great resignation and we've got all these things. So, you know, it's just the, the companies aren't equipped. And I have a philosophy that says, the companies of the future like Shell will have all the average employees. Mm. These are the people that are not um, outgoing enough or, or employable enough to go out and get more gig type jobs that they can set their own demands and they'll be stuck to the corporate confines. So the organization will be having a nice diversity platter of people for the record keeping, but they're going to have a lot of people as well that are just stationary and don't have the legs and arms to leave the company. So they have to suffer the toil and agony of bureaucracy, politics, and everything else that comes with toxic organization. I have with me today, Brent Kudzerski. We have known each other for a couple of years. I interviewed Brent for the Courage of a Leader book, I'm always impressed with what he has to share. He is a thought leader and an expert in large scale global transformation. 
Brent is a dynamic and sought after keynoter and author. He has been featured in prominent publications, including Harvard Business Weekly, Chief Learning Officer, and BBC News. As former head of learning strategy and innovation at Shell, Brent led many of Shell's most critical global transformation initiatives and drove Shell's aspiration to be a world-leading learning organization. Brent has recently shifted gears and is now working with progressive companies and focusing on serving as an advocate to pr promote Industry 5.0 as a vehicle to create a more inclusive and human-centered future across industry. I am excited to have the podcast listeners learn from your experience, Brent. Thank you for being here. Hi, Amy, and thanks for having me. It's great to be with you, and it's been great working with you over the last few uh, years, and congratulations once again on your book, Courage of a Leader. I, I certainly enjoyed it, and I hear and continue to hear how well it's doing, so great for you, Amy. Ah, thank you, Brent. Glad to have you included in the book. So let's look back at your experience um, over the past decades. Having led global, organization-wide transformation initiatives, what are lessons that you've learned that you could offer to other leaders? Uh, that's a good question. Um, my entire career has been being a transformational leader. It's been, I was really the global transformation um, person at Shell for the HR function. Um, my first assignment in Shell, they actually recruited me to help globalize the um, learning function. So at the time, it was um, not a unified function. It um, had different processes and platforms, infrastructure, uh, different organizations all across the globe. And, you know, my job was to go in there and look to see how we could um, uh, globalize it so that we had one way of working, uh, unified platforms and basically unified mm -hmm. systems. And as you might imagine, um, that was change that no one liked to see me come because they all had their own uh, fiefdoms. They had their own uh, learning centers. They had their own titles. Uh, they were working yeah. autonomously. And so when they saw me coming, you know, who's this new guy uh, coming in to change the way I've been doing my job here for 20, 30 years? Um, yes. So it was really about a couple of different things. And I've learned these things throughout um, my um, time, not only at Shell, but prior to that. And it's always, you know, really it's about database decision-making. You know, you look at opportunities and you frame those through a lens of, you know, what are your givens? What are your facts? What are your assumptions? You know, what are those things that you're working at starting from? And you will always start with this thing called an arc of drama. So anytime it's just like a, a movie or a play or anything like that, you've got an antagonist and a protagonist. So you've got somebody that wants to change the status quo. And then you've got a whole bunch of antagonists, whether they be 
processes, systems, preferences, whatever those things might be that are kind of fighting to keep the status quo the same. Mm -hmm. And again, that's because so many people had a built-in bias. It's been their mental model. It's been the way it's always worked. They might have vested interest in, you know, not changing what's there because they might have had a hand in creating it. So you've got all those kind of things to work with. And then as you introduce something new, it's always about... accelerating into the pace of change so this is going into a new space an unknown and you know the unknown is a very dark place you can't see the light in the unknown and that's why you know scary movies are always in the dark and people Mm -hmm. are you know hiding in the bushes and things like that that's what makes things scary you can't see them same thing in organizations so all these things whether it's technology changes or or people changes or process changes because you've never seen them work and because they're new to you everybody fears them and because they're not tested so then you get the people saying well we tried that before or something like it it didn't work or we're unique or it won't work here because Mm -hmm. you know xyz is a restriction or we're different you know it's harder to make money in this part of the business versus that part of the business so everybody's going to come on into it with their own unique optics of how they see their part of the world and so when you try to globalize something you're trying to make everybody kind of see it in a more um, open light and again they're coming at it from their corners of the world so you've got to learn how to bring those people together so you know you'll you'll make those trials and you'll you'll have your bumps and bruises and you'll have a climax where you know people want to give up or say look i told you so it's not going to work And then you fight through it. And that's through the fight. That's where you get your greatest learning. That's where you, um, you know, you learn how um, the unknowns can help you. So whether it's technology, whether it's, oh, we didn't know about bandwidth or restrictions of the cloud or, you know, the cost of something new, you learn all those things. And then you kind of go down the curve where, you know, you have falling action, where everything's working out, and then you can have your basically your celebration because you've created a new status quo where people can see the benefits. And so this is why you start with this database of where are we at today, you know, whether it was in Shell when I would do things, we had, you know, 26 thousand different reports or, you know, 2,500 individual writers or users and you look at all the things that are inefficient why and then you say well what's the benefit of changing these things um and again remember you know um everyone wants you know it's always about someone wanting to control something or not being controlled so it's it's how do people feel they're going to lose control or be controlled and that's what you have to look in uh, the change model you know, mm-hmm. just basically how people are psychologically going to look at that. Yes. Okay. So Brent, I'm hearing lean on the data. I'm hearing expect antagonists mm-hmm. because you are leading them into the unknown and there might be valid reasons why they're attached to the current. I'm also hearing, do not be afraid of the bumps. There could be right. exciting and necessary learning inside of the obstacles that come up yeah the bumps are you know that's where you learn that's where you grow in the spots that aren't so comfortable uh, the spots that bring you to a new path that's where you extend your own reality you have such a focus on 
uh, growth and progress. Well, and I think that those leaders who are not afraid of talking about and grappling with and dealing with the bumps, we respect them, right? Oh, they, they do see that there's an obstacle here. They are pulling us together to figure out uh, the best way forward, the best way to handle this. Right. And you, and you, you need those kind of leaders. I mean, I know that, you know, I was a very dynamic leader at Shell and there was a healthy tension in everything I did. And some people loved that tension and some people thought, oh, it's overly aggressive or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it be. But I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, one of the last meetings I was having, you know, I was in a group of a bunch of um, leaders at the same level and I was um, promoting that we do something that was a bit um, non-status quo. And some of them started to give me the resistors and started to say, well, well, how we couldn't do it and why we wouldn't do it. And then I figured, well, you know what? I'm leaving Shell in a bit, so I don't want to have this, you know, done if it can't get done without a dynamic leader and then i all of a sudden said well wait you know you might be right let's not do it now let's put it on the table and as soon as i said that they're whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute no wait a minute i mean so some people just <laughs> want that person to kind of assume the risk or you know lay it on and say you know i'll lead the charge and you know you can you can say that you just didn't agree or you can say you had some uh you know, some um, uh, doubts or something like that, as long as you've got someone that'll have the courage of a leader to say, mm. I'll push it forward. I'm willing to uh, accept the accountability that I did push this and that I believed in it. And I believed in it enough to put myself out there, put myself at risk. Um, and, and that's kind of what I always lived by. I, I thought that, you know, and still today I do that, you know, nothing ever easy is, you know, um, good and nothing good is ever easy. Mm -hmm. That is an interesting story, Brent. So maybe some of those antagonists out there are actually respecting and admiring the courage they're seeing from the leader uh, taking the reins. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, I'm sorry, that's one of the things yeah. that I would always do. Um, I remember when I was changing the global confidence management strategy at Shell. And now when you think about change, some of the hardest things to change in organizations are things that everybody has experience with. Uh -huh. So everybody in the Shell organization had experience with confidence management because it was done with most every employee and they all had development discussions they all had competence maps they all experienced all of the elements of the process so because they all experienced obviously they all felt they were experts because they had their own intimate point of view and experience with those processes so when i was trying to change the process and using data and logic and a lot of other things to, you know, reshape it. Um, everybody had their point of view. Everybody had their opinion. Everybody had experience with good development discussions and bad development discussions. So I was going against the sea of an entire mm -hmm. workforce that had a deep level of experience and bias and perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really leaned in to listen to people to mm -hmm. understand their experience because I got some of my best insights and my best 
energy for moving the path forward from my biggest resistors, those people that were adamant about their experience and they had a full heart into you know what they believed in those people gave me the greatest insights that I used to fix the process uh, I love that um, because I think it can be easy for leaders who are driving a change to focus on influencing the advocates the people who are already on board let's go where we've got support and start the charge there and not go and seek out time with the resistors the antagonists and that's where you might learn what you need to learn to to have the initiative ultimately be successful Right. I, I think in organ, you know, most of life is always the Pareto principle. It's the 80-20 rule. You'll find that in most things. I've learned when it comes to global transformation, change management, it's always the rule of thirds. You know, I've got a, a third of the people that will agree with what you want to do, a third of the people that are somewhat indifferent and, you know, they'll go either way, depending on, you know, what the other two uh, thirds do. And then you've got the third that are the, the entrenched resistors. And I really, you know, once I get, and again, I've always used my change management model for four things. One, create a shared vision to show that there truly is a sense of urgency, because if you don't do that, um, you might as well not do anything. And then three, take a deep, hard look at your organization in terms of organizational capability. And there's really two types of capability. There's the intellectual capability. Is your organization actually ready intellectually to make this level of change on a global basis? And do they actually have the resources, meaning the people, the money, the infrastructure to do it? And then the last thing is you want to have actionable, concrete first steps to move you along. And when you don't have those things, if you have missing any one of those, it'll fail because you'll have something. If you don't have, you know, a shared vision, for example, you'll have mixed messages at the end. Or if you don't have organizational capacity, you'll have um, dips in, in failure and acceleration. So, you know, you just look and, it, and you make it very simple. You look at the rule of thirds and then you look at those four elements. And if you're not getting traction in any one of those, I can tell you what will happen to you along the way. <laughs> Forward progress will stop. Right. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, I, I really like that, Brent. You've recently made a shift. You are now the chief learning officer for Human Works, and you're promoting Industry 5.0 and looking to create a more human-centered workplace. Tell us how you define Industry 5.0 and what do you see as the most exciting benefits? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, I've got over 30 years of experience in this field of human performance, organization development, change management, and basically um, people development. Um, you know, been 
classically trained in it from a university level. And I've got, I've been afforded to really have some great experience working um, with the military, with industry, high-risk industry, working in some great projects. Um, and, and, and I really am I'm proud and fortunate to the level of experience that I've been able to have. And then to top that off with 20 plus years in Shell, mm -hmm. um, working matrix global complex environment um, has really been beneficial to me. And I've seen a lot and I've been able to do a lot. Um, and, and what I noticed is when we started to do a lot of the digital transformation in Shell, um, we were digitizing and we were really leaning into digital. I mean, we had a goal to get, you know, harvest $2 billion worth of benefit from, from digital. Um, and we were, you know, looking to that automation of our plant to make the lights out, the people as factories. Um, and what I saw along the way is we sometimes were losing the human element of all this. Mm -hmm. And then I started to study a little bit more on the industry 5.0. And I was you know, deep into the pillars of industry 4.0 with the cyber physical connectivity and the elements that drive that. And what I saw in industry 5.0 was, you know, we're going to reach a, a peak where, you know, technology will only go so far with us. You know, once you get to artificial intelligence and machine machine learning and, you know, all these kinds of things, you've got to marry human intellect, human creativity and human cooperative abilities to really advance automation to the next level. But at the same notion, you have to use the automation to enable the people to excel. Mm -hmm. So we need to use automation to make people more uh, intellectual, you know, teach them how to be more digitally fluent or be able to be more, you know, computational thinkers. And this is where this thing about power, skills, and super jobs come into play in Industry 5.0 because the traditional hierarchical organization, because of connectivity and just the complexity of a more personalized set of, you know, um, supply chains, product development cycles, all these kinds of things are going to create more complex uh, organizations where you won't just be in your silo anymore. And that's going to mean people are going to have to be much more collaborative across functional boundaries. So there's a whole lot of ideas and concepts like that that we have to contend with. But my biggest thing was, you know, Industry 5.0 is about what the worker feels in terms of their individual um, role in industry, you know, are they working in meaningful jobs? Are those jobs helping to create a better society, a better environment? Are those jobs helping to eliminate waste? Are those jobs helping to um, progress the world? You know, again, we look at things like, you know, 70 plus percent of the world doesn't have electricity, you know, clean water and all these things. And I think Industry 5, brings around the potential for organizations not to just deliver commercial goods and industrial services, but do so in a way that benefits humanity and society. And I think that's the role of Industry 5.0 uh, is opening up the world so that it can be a bit more um, uh, humane. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I look at this and I, I, I talk about this model, you know, if you have workers that go home and they're aggravated or they're discontent, they go home and they're probably not the nicest to their 
husband or wife or the mm -hmm. children. They're probably grumpy. And that doesn't help us build strong families. And then if they don't have strong families throughout our communities, that really doesn't build strong communities. And if you don't have strong communities, that really doesn't help to build a strong society. So I'm, I'm very passionate about the, the, the role that work plays in society. And that's why I developed or created the human works companies because really human works. Um, and that's mm -hmm. what I want industry to understand is that if we can be a little bit more uh, human in our, our thinking around, you know, corporate uh, enterprise, I think everybody's going to be better off for that. Excellent. I appreciate your passion and your commitment and understanding all of the ripple effects that happen if we are a person who feels like we have meaningful work and that we can make an important contribution in our job, just how that in, impacts how we show up as a person in all areas of our lives. Yeah. Um, are we going to react to that, Brent? Well, I was just going to say that, you know, one of the things I'm working on next is a kind of a revisioning of the corporate learning function. Um, mm. You know, if you think about it, it's been very linear for many years, you know, um, there's a, some perceived training need and you fill it with some kind of either compliance based learning or some kind of PowerPoint based learning. Um, but we're really not looking at what's enriching those employees because, you know, people's time and attention is so scarce now. They're overwhelmed in the workplace. They're shocked with content coming at them from multiple dimensions. And, you know, they do have preferences and they do have you know, things that they would prefer, how to learn or, or when to learn. And there's so much competing for their time and attention that we want to be doing things that the employee feels are valuable to them, that are meaningful, and that it's a good use of their, you know, time. Because you don't want them walking away from something and say, gee, I just wish I had that hour back from what I had to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it just can't be check the box kind of things. So we really need a more personalized and adaptive infrastructure for people to treat them more as individuals, just as big widgets in a wheel. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I want to ask a pandemic-related question, Brent. Do you feel like the pandemic has heightened our awareness and like primed the, the workplace for this need to focus on creating a hu more human-centric workplace, or is it distracting us from that? No, Amy, you, Amy, you've got it. I mean, you know, the pandemic has given people time to pause, to reflect on their yeah. lives, their family orientation, um, you know, what it means to be at home more often, you know, maybe see what their spouse does when they're at work all day, have a greater appreciation for that, maybe see the struggles of their children throughout the day with homework or friends or different things like that. And I think that they've looked at life being finite and they've looked at it and saying, what am I doing with all my, you know, this, is this really how I want to spend my time in toil and drudgery? And this is why you have the great resignation. You know, you've got all of these new um, uh, mental models that are coming out about how people want to spend their time and attention. And I think people are getting much more judicious 
about how, when, and why they spend their time. Mm -hmm. And so I think the organizations have to respond to that by getting things more personalized for people so that the people's time is respected and is made better use of. Yes. Yes, I think we're, I think we're hungry for it. Uh, final question, Brent, for the leaders out there who see a possibility to make a change in their organization, in their community, uh, and, and how do they get started with that? They want to do something big. It's overwhelming. They're trying to figure out how to get their heads and their hands around it. Where do they start? Well, I think you have to always start, you know, your, the biggest pain points for the employees. You know, I think a lot of organizations out there are starting to see that they've got retention issues, they've got engagement issues, um, you know, and these are leading indicators. Um, well, actually, probably lagging indicators um, of problems that they've got throughout their organization. You know, the idea of developing personas for workers is a couple of years old now, mm -hmm. where you're looking at, you know, a day in the life of the employee and what are the struggles that they deal with and, you know, what are their pain points and how do you remedy those? Um, the organization cultures are, are shifting because really what you want is more worker enablement. So I look at these environments to create more worker enabled environment with more control by the worker um, of, of what they do, when they do it, how they do it. You know, this idea about being more concerned about you know, the worker getting their work done than, than where they get it done, things like that, or what time they get it done, um, mm -hmm. as long as they're in control of getting it done to the, you know, to the needs of the organization. Um, so there are a lot of the things that I'm seeing about more autonomy for workers, these things like the citizen development of their own solutions. You know, for example, one of the things in Shell that I thought was great and we were really having great success with was this Microsoft Power BI apps where workers could actually, you know, address the problems that they see in their workflow with technology that they could do themselves. So you, you didn't have to send it up to the white ivy the tower and have some, you know, big five consulting firm come in and, you know, build some solution and, you know, a year later, give it to the workers and they look at it and say, well, who did this and why should I use it? <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it's really about it's really about that. It's it's giving them relevance. It's giving them autonomy. It's giving them greater control, and it's giving them the resources that they need. So you know, there's a lot more deeper things to that, but it's it's a function of making the work meaningful, giving them the right tools and support, giving them a psychologically safe environment. You know, it's you know we have these tensions in organizations where you know we say we want to be innovative or we want to do this and but the first time somebody kind of makes a mistake you know um they're fearful you know or you know mm -hmm. they you, know, you say we want to be a learner mindset company but as soon as they ask a question or admit they don't know something well they're in the back row then all of a sudden so you know we've got to walk the talk in terms of what we really want and leaders have to lead the right way and when they see their culture um, doing things to employees, um, they can't succumb to that culture because they're also fearful. 
And I think that's the biggest thing that people forget is leaders are fearful too. And maybe, (laughs) maybe even more so because they're closer to the sun, you know, so they even get more heat. So, you know, they're the ones that don't want to say the wrong thing and don't want to take a risk and, you know, kind of want to hide from any kind of tension or dilemma or, you know, struggle. Um, And they just want to keep the wheels on the bus going round and round. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Brent, exactly. This is why I am passionate about supporting leaders, right? Because they feel so much of it on top of their shoulders. Uh, Brent, you shared so much great value with us in a short period of time right now. I'm trying to think about how to summarize uh, my key takeaways. Um, I clearly heard Let's not be afraid of our resistors. Let's not be afraid of our obstacles. In fact, lean in there. That's where we want to spend time and energy. Um, I also love uh, be really clear about the vision, where you're headed, big picture, but also having those next step, those near-term actions that people can take and get involved with really making sure you're giving the employees the tools and the support uh, to get involved. So what's next for you, Brent? Well, that's a great question and thanks for asking. Um, As I look at Workforce 2022, I think to myself, is it a tipping point or a negative tipping point or an inflection point? So, you know, 2022, we continue to see this flow of data like a river that's surging, providing, improving, the workers remain dissatisfied with today's ideal work. You know, this mass resignation that's underway is simply a symptom of a more profound set of issues that I'm beginning to look into. Mm -hmm. So we're at a crossroads, I think. It's, you know, will we navigate what seems to be a very negative tipping point, or will we hit our inflection point with a positive trajectory relative to, you know, our ideas about work? So I just think it's time that we reshape our our basic and fundamental beliefs and assumptions about, you know, what's the human role in work and reshape what work should look like and what it should feel like within organizations and who's going to decide that. So I would ask folks um, that are listening that they can join me on this journey to unpack what I call an impact of six generations of industrial culture setting and um, just see some recent thoughts that I put out there. Uh, on the topic in the links that you'll provide hopefully on the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. In the show notes, you will find links to three thought-provoking articles that Brent has written recently. So please check them out because I think Brent is exactly right. We're at a tipping point here. Thank you, Brent, for spending time with us on the Courage of a Leader podcast. Uh, Appreciate all of the great insights that you've shared from your experience uh, over the past decades. Well, thanks, Amy. It was great to talk to you and spend this time with you. And I'm looking for more uh, connections with you as we progress through this little journey of life. (laughs) Me too, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to the Courage of a Leader podcast. If you'd like to further explore this episode's topic, please reach out to me through the Courage of a Leader website at www.courageofaleader.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please take the time to leave a review on iTunes. 
That helps us expand our reach and get more people fully stepping into their leadership potential. Until next time, be bold and be brave because you've got the courage of a leader.